today's guest, stand-up comedian, author, co-host of the podcast of Jams, Moshe Kasher. We talk about race, hip-hop, and liberals. And please, go to BurtBurtBurt.com, pre-order my book, Life of the Party, and get a murder machine shirt! This is The BurtCast. Hello, it's recording. My most anticipated podcast. <laughs> come on. We've been working on this how long? That's true. We have had a very difficult time. And then I come to your door, and the first thing I see is a fucking Santa Claus and a sign that says, We Believe, which I felt was directed at me. Oh, you know what's so you. funny? I thought my, I, when my wife got that, uh-huh. I thought it was racist. Oh, really? She, and we've had it, we've had it as long as I've fucking known her. And the, when she first put it up i was like we believe almost says like hey guys we're on the right team uh, <laughs> and, I, and she was no, like but the santa claus puts it into a realm of the adorable right <laughs> yeah oh. not, if it was jesus <laughs> that's who i thought it was to yeah exactly no. <laughs> um you i it's so funny because uh i f- i really feel like i know you very well although i don't uh, only because i feel like i discovered you before anyone else did oh shit i, well, I saw your on your aspen clip Oh yeah, a long right. time ago you did a uh, rooftop comedy festival, and I fucking was like, I was like, this guy's fucking hilarious. Oh, that's nice. And yeah, then, that was sort of the clip that kind of the clip that uh, I guess I started my career on. But I also want to say, like in a in a weird way, this is um, this is I'm just making sure I'm recording the talk. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good. Good. Hide. Good. Yeah. So, but in a weird way, it was at the time where there were lines drawn in the sand, it seemed like, with alternative comedy and regular comedy. Yeah, and you know, I've always felt those lines were made by somebody else. I, I don't quite know who. I always feel like I have the fucking physique of a tight end, so people look at me right. like I'm a fucking meathead. So I always felt like I was on the other side of it. I was in like the regular comedy camp, but I, the comedy I like is like more alternative in nature i like funny comedy sure everybody i mean i i started in san francisco so i always uh, all the alt guys in san francisco would play the clubs and all the club guys would go try to play the alt shows yeah so i've always considered i think my comedy really rests right in the middle of club and alt. like i've always felt that but like you I, look alt. i definitely look more alternative yeah. than my comedy i mean I think my comedy really is in the middle. I mean, it's right. But you're, you know what? You're an, in, you're a, like you have had a really interesting, um, a really interesting life. I've had an alternative lifestyle, not homosexuality. <laughs> Although you know, <laughs> the future. Who knows? I'm in your man cave right now. <laughs> who the, knows? But you're, but you're like, yeah. It's like almost like you expect you to go to come in listening to the Smiths or uh, the new Morrissey acoustic album, but that you love hip hop. Oh, that's what I grew up on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I like all that other stuff too. But <clears throat> I didn't get introduced to the Smiths and like alternative rock and stuff. I mean, I guess I listen to like Nirvana because I'm from you know kid from the '90s. But yeah. No, I was raised on hip hop, on gangster rap, actually, like m- most specifically gangster rap, but also j- hip hop in general. Can I tell you something that I yeah. believe? Um, I am upset. I got into an argument with my friend the other night, and I said the 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 N word is. And by the way, I, I say I say the N word. I don't use the word. That's funny you mention that because up on your uh, on your wall I here know. at the Cape is Richard Pryor's album Bicentennial Nigger, and it says nigger. I mean, it's undeniable. And I wonder if that's a way you could get away with saying the N word is just you go like, oh, "I'm really a big fan of Richard Pryor's Bicentennial Nigger." Like, can you do that? Like, what are you supposed to do if that's the title? Are you supposed to say... What would you say? Would you say Bicentennial N-Word? I won't even talk about it. <laughs> I, I, it's so funny because... Uh, I, who did I have in here? I had uh, a, a black guy in here the other day. 
And he was like looking at it, and he was like, it's interesting that you have it up in your man cave. I mean, it's prominently displayed. Yeah. It was, to, it's be, a, to be fair, it's not, it's not the only one. Yeah. That would be hilarious <laughs> if it was the only album. And then I had NWA up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but NWA, when, when, when that came out, I want to say that that brought that word that ingratiated it in a weird way to youths like myself and you. Yeah. Like, because I, someone said to me the other day, I'm not allowed to sing it. Say, say, sing the N word. Like when it's in a oh, song, I hear what you're I'm saying. not allowed right. to sing it. And I'm like, I'm in my car by myself. No one's going to hear me. Right. But immorally, God's watching. Yeah. We God's- believe, if we believe, if we truly believe, <laughs> Santa's watching and Santa's- he's real mad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hip hop. did say the N word. Hip hop defined me. Oh, is that right? Oh, you grew up on hip hop. Hardcore. Oh, interesting. But southern hip hop. Where are you from? Tampa. Oh, okay. So like so Luke. I saw I met Uncle Luke. I was having dinner with uh with um uh Emilio Estefan, Gloria Estefan's husband. Okay. The producer. That could have I mean, gone in a different direction. Estevez at yeah. any moment. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm having dinner with uh, Emilio Estefan and we're shooting Travel Channel's trip flip and Uncle Luke oh, walks cool. up and I lost my shit. I could get Uncle that. Luke! And he's like, <laughs> and he looks at me, I'm a fucking 40 year old, I'm a man, I'm a grown man. Yeah. And he, I'm, it must be the weirdest thing for him to see that and go, oh, all right, yeah. I had a similar situation. I was on a Southwest flight and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to show, show you where my career is at, but I, I was, uh, I was, you know, Southwest, it's open seating. Yeah. And this big, like thug kind of looking dude comes in and he's holding an entire row and I was just like what a jerk like this yeah. is, you can't just do that he's like no no keep going and like one minute before the door's supposed to close uh, E40 <gasps> shut up yeah and this guy had been like holding and why is E40 flying southwest I don't know no I but uh, I haven't I, heard him I haven't heard him on an album since MJG and 8ball yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright we're going very deep into the coffers dude MJG and 8ball uh, and no disrespect to MJG, Eight Ball specifically is a dream guest of mine. Was he the fat one? Or the, yeah, the oh, big yeah, guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. So E Forty comes in, and I freak out. You know, I go, and you, uh, the, your listeners don't know what I look like, but like, uh, I, you know, you know how the N, the N word you can't say. I look like the F word, uh, <laughs> I, right? So I just, you know, with, got, a, with a with a sprinkle of the J word. That, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I have like, you know, I got poofy hair and big nerd glasses and, you know, I, I, I dress a little bit flamboyantly sometimes. Anyway, I just go, I lean in and I just go, uh, excuse Mr. Water or Mr. Forty, uh, I'm a huge, huge fan. And, and he just goes like, you could feel him like dismissing me. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Because like E-40 had uh, like, he had had a hit in the last 10 years. He had that hyphy song. I yeah. Think. And so he probably assumed that I had just heard about him from from MTV in that last year or whatever. So then I go, I go, I've been a fan of yours since Federal, which is his first album, which is like, nobody knew who he was back then. Well, he's from where you, he's he's, from the Bay. He's from where you grew up. Yeah, and people, probably your listeners don't even know who he is now, but this is, he's now big, big, and at the time, like, he was an underground sensation, like people would. So I go, Fed, when I said Federal, I saw the lights kind of go on in his eyes. Like, he was, I could tell, like, I'm sure Luke felt the same way, like, intrigued that this weird, like, you know, gay-looking white boy was, like, talking about, like, a very obscure first album of his, and then he was just like, yeah? And he, like, leaned in and got all into it, and I, I, I assume I made his day. It's, it's weird. You want that you want them to know. Like, I ran into, um, when I first moved out to L.A., I was living in a hotel, and uh, <clears throat> I was doing a TV show, and I went to a Dodgers game. I got fucking hammered. I roll up. And to my hotel and out front, I mean, unmistakable. I saw it the second I saw him, 
Juvie and fucking Lil Wayne. Oh, in your hotel. Juvie and Lil Wayne sitting outside smoking. And I walked up. I was like, Juvenile. I was like, I'm a you huge fucking... You Lil Wayne completely. Lil Wayne, Lil Wayne wasn't... To be honest with you, this is all fairness. This is 15 years ago. Oh, he wasn't as big. He wasn't as big. No, and, and, I, and not even my favorite rapper. Right. Like, I love Juvie. I thought he was like... Lil Wayne had some of the hottest lyrics on that on they did that Hot Boys album. Uh-huh. He had some of the hottest lyrics, but like if it would have been BG, like BG had written uh, Bling Bling. <laughs> so a, if it had been BG, I would have fucking lost I just my picture shit. All of your viewers one by one turning their i their, <laughs> no. their iPhones off. Like <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> you know what? We'll bring it back. You want to really talk interesting shit? I spent the night last night googling uh, black fraternity brandings. Oh, and what does that mean? Brandings? You, I know what the black they what, brand each other. Oh no shit! With fucking Whoa. iron. And That's just, crazy. It's the most insane like ritual. Black fraternities are take fraternity to the next level. Yeah. I've seen somebody get branded before. Really? Yeah. At Burning Man. I saw this guy. It was very weird. This guy had like a little... You went to Burning Man? I've been like 13 times. But, Seriously? Yeah, I go every year. I've been going since I was like 16, but uh, we, which we can get into. But I, this guy had a little teeny, oh I mean God. small, like uh, hand like rolled uh, kiln. I think maybe it's on the back of a motorcycle, actually. It was like a very small kiln that he was, like, stoking. Like, I don't know how it was being powered, but... And then he had this teeny little brand that he was heating up in this kiln. Or I guess it's a... You know, it's like a, it was like a... Yeah. Whatever. And then he was just going around, does anybody want this? And people would walk up. And it was a Burning Man symbol, which you don't want to do that to yourself. It's yeah. a bad, bad, bad decision to make. But, yeah, right in front of me, this guy was like, I'll do it, I'll do it. And they just, like... He just sort of touched it to him. It was pretty intense. We branded ourselves with Omegas. Um, on our arms, we saw the black guys do it, <laughs> yeah. but there were little tiny ones that we had gotten at like a at like a uh, craft store. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> it was like you a, really did it. It was we really did it, but they it went. You got it. The thing is, black people scar different right. than white people. Right? They have Jews, those keloids. Too, you know? Really? Yeah, Jews keloid. Black people, Jews, and uh, yeah, it's just white people. They got real white people. They got away with it. Yeah, I got I got branded, but it went away, and then I got shot there by a paint pellet gun uh-huh. one time, and it. Scarred over it, and then it just disappeared. Now it doesn't even look like anything. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so wait. Um. Yeah. Hip hop for me. Uh. I remember I used to listen to hip hop. I listened to like to like uh. There was a song Baseline. The was a real long time ago, but it was like uh. I think it was like Nucleus or something. And I used to listen to that. And when girls would call, I'd change it and put on reggae. <laughs> So that they thought I was cool. And uh-huh. then I'd be like, hey, what's up? No, they yeah, just listen to music. When girls called me, I put on Richard Pryor's Bicentennial nigger. Just, uh... <laughs> it's so funny. I had to stop listening to hip hop because of my daughters. Because yeah. I got the new Kendrick Lamar. It's so good. Uh, I haven't been able to listen to it because you'd hip hop is best listened to in a car. Yeah, sure. It is music made for... It's really interesting the way people make music these days. You mm-hmm. know, like... like Doctor Dog is a I'm, a I'm a pretty eclectic kind of music guy. Sure, that's so the like, uh, that's the combination of Doctor Dre and Snoop Doggy Dog, right? Right, yeah. Doctor Dog. Yeah, Doctor Dog, their new album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's like more like an acoustic, but he's better to listen to like on a plane when you're drinking. Interesting. You know, like yeah, like like uh, my wife used to. There was like a moratorium if there was no Irish music to be played ever at night because he would get too drunk. I'd start fucking putting him back. <laughs> Irish music just fucking That's throwing hilarious. it back, but hip hop is best listened to in a car, and I and I can't listen because I always have my girls in the car, and I was listening to Kendrick Lamar and I, one song, and it was just like he was dropping the n word a lot, and my and I was like, my daughters are gonna fucking hear this, right? I hear you. I mean, Kendrick is is not very ignorant. I mean, yeah, that's my problem with rap. As I get older, I'm 34. I've been listening to hip hop since I was I don't know 13. 
like avidly since I was 13 and sort of uh, totally since I was like eight you know what I mean like uh, it became like my defining music when I took when I was younger I was like maybe maybe I would go rock I would I was like it was a turning you know should I go rock Guns N' Roses and in that direction or should I go towards hip those are sort of you know I was white but I did live in Oakland so it was sort of the bifurcation of my two identities and I eventually went towards hip-hop but I'm now you know I've been listening to it for a long time. I'm a grown up, and I I think consider myself slightly enlightened or whatever. Like I'm just mature, just like you are. And it's it's like I don't feel like hip hop has. Uh, and this is a little bit, you know, I don't want to brand all hip hop, but I just feel like in general hip hop hasn't really evolved. Like it's one big evolution was that they stopped talking about murder as much after Biggie and Tupac died. You know what I mean? But that was their bi- that was their big allowance for humanity. It was like okay, yeah. we'll we'll switch over to materialism and money, and it's just like at a certain point, I've I've heard about how dope these guys are for so long. It's like. Oh, is there? Oh, there's a new fellow that's very dope and the best rapper and yeah. has all the money. It's like it's misogynistic and 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 materialistic, and I get tired of it a little bit. But Kendrick, I actually feel like it has something something to say. I got I I was I had a point when I was like listening to Ti, and I was like, he just got into ecstasy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, black dudes hit ecstasy way way later than white dudes. But, yeah, white, why? White people had ecstasy for a long time. You know, I mean, that's actually you know it comes j- jazz. And hip hop and uh, the blues and rock and roll, all of these things are things that black people invented and then white people uh, stole and appropriated. Ecstasy, techno, that was ours. Well, actually, techno, <laughs> black people invented techno, but ecstasy, yeah, that wheat was ours, and then then black guys got on board. That's the one thing we we've, we've given to them. <laughs> They're like, shut up, Molly. Y'all invented Molly. <laughs> Models, bottles, Mollys, blunts. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is like. You know, Drake, Drake, not that Drake is the most enlightened human being in the world, but he's like the hottest oh, guy right now, right? What did I watch? I just watched Drake in something last night. Degrassi? Was that? No, I don't know. Was he in Degrassi High? He started in Degrassi High, yeah. Shut up! Yeah, and that's so people talk shit about Drake. Not that, And I'm saying, Drake is not, it's not like he's enlightened. He's still talking about like women and, and cocaine. I don't know what he's talking about, the truth is. But he's like soft, you know? Yeah. That's his thing. He's like a sensitive kind of guy. And everybody's just like... You know, talking shit about him like, "Oh, you ain't no real gangster. You, you, you're soft." It's like, can we have? It's been thirty years. Can we have one? Yeah. Are we allowed to have one superstar that isn't talking about you know how tough and and from the streets he is? Like, who gives a shit? So anyway, I, yeah, I just got tired of like every hip hop song is about a single. Not everyone, but almost every hip hop song is about about its author. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, then you listen to Doctor Dog or Bob Dylan. It's like, oh, you can have songs about. Con- like topics and I sort of feel like Kendrick does that. I feel like I feel like when I first saw stand up, I remember thinking, um, oh, like and I, I'm 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 hesitant to even use real names because but when I first saw stand up, it seemed like people were one thing. Like uh like like uh say Jim Norton was like the dead prostitute in the trunk guy. Uh-huh. Right. And 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 like and then like Godfrey was like the high energy friendly guy and, right. and like it's I, when i first saw it i felt like everyone was i felt like i was looking at people compartmentalized and i was like what kind of comic am i gonna be uh-huh. and right. then i was like why can't i just be me and do all of it and be like more like a utility player and and then i realized i was not good at doing what jim did i wasn't good at doing what godfrey did i couldn't do what fucking jim gaffigan did i couldn't right. be clean so i was just like well fuck i guess you just find your voice 
Right, or your voice finds you. Your voice finds yeah. That's sort of how I feel. I feel like, you know, they say to young comics, like, you just have to get on stage. That's the, the whole thing. And it's like, but some people talk talk about that. They mean, like, oh, you got to be comfortable or get your hours in, which is definitely true. But it's also like, you just have to stand there for long enough for you to go, oh, this is the comic that I am. Like, eventually, yeah. just one day you go, like, oh, I'm this guy. I didn't even know. I've just been writing towards my my whatever is funny to me and then eventually go oh i'm the guy that talks in this way and says this stuff and is you know that's why i call myself my voice the, the conqueror no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> wait you i haven't seen you do stand-up in a while and you had this big run in um in uh in montreal that you oh, just did yeah i just did well because we'd run into each other in the elevator that's right yeah uh, what was that like that was cool man I, because you know I, I did you do new faces I've never you, done new faces. I don't know that. what I did. I don't Skip know what I just step. did. Some well, no. I, I, new faces was um, I was in deals, but when new faces was, right. was around, That's I don't what, even think they do it anymore. Right. But I did something. I don't know what I did. Well, they like you know when you're a young comic, you know, like uh, unestablished. Your kind of dream is to get Montreal just for last festival. New faces. So yeah. It's a showcase of. I know you know this. I'm just telling the people that don't like you know. It's a showcase of like all the hottest people that they've selected. So <clears throat> you go, and it's very uncomfortable. It's a very uncomfortable experience. You're like, you know, you're selected, and you're like, oh, it's the biggest deal ever, and it is in some way. And then you just go and you do these like rapid fire seven minute sets in front of like you know audiences that are good sometimes, but sometimes just uh, just industry people that are there like taking notes on you, and so it's like a very you're just very uncomfortable and then like you want so desperately for people to be like you're in the they have these after parties in Montreal you know oh, they make me so uncomfortable well, by the way of course they make me uncomfortable now but at the time I was just like a little hedgehog like darting around like is anybody is anybody making eye contact does anybody want to talk to me you know it's like oh, I, was, I hate that feeling and I get that so much people would think that I'm very comfortable around other people I'm actually very like those moments that going to those things make me so uncomfortable oh, they're the worst but like you, yeah, I was saying like when you're a young, when you're a new comic, it's the only time in your life where you care more about getting like old Jewish men's phone numbers than hot women. You know what I mean? There could be yeah. like a hot woman like, hey, I thought you were getting You're like, oh, okay, just go away, please. I'm talking to Barry talking Goldfarb to Bobby, over here. Bobby Slate. <laughs> like, Bobby Slate <laughs> called me one time and I got fucking chills. I was yeah. like, I'm on the phone with a pimple of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you get to this weird like, so it's very uncomfortable. And then. So I went. I've been back since, and it's a little bit more comfortable. And then you get to. The, I'm sure. I don't know if you're at this, but it's like you don't. Care, you're kind of like I'm me. I'm the guy that does this. I care. I care. I know what you're saying. I care. Uh, I cared this last time because mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, it was my first time to Montreal. I'd never been before, and it was a lot of fun hanging out. But I was like, I was like, I was like, man, what if? Like I don't know. Like I was just nervous. Well, this like, was your la- your first time in Montreal. First this time year. ever. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. And you know, you're different because you're established. So imagine yeah. you're feeling this year of like I want to feel like I'm legit here, and you already know you're legit. Imagine yeah. you don't have any any evidence suggesting that you're yeah. legit. This is the first legitimizing factor that's ever happened to you. Is these people going? You know, like it's the last big thing that had happened to me. The last new. I'm. You have to go way back, which is I got when I was like maybe. Uh, two years into comedy, I auditioned for Jamie Foxx's Laugh-A-Palooza. And, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember Jamie Foxx's Laugh-A-Palooza. Yeah, so you know, when you were in San Francisco, that's why I mean I'm in the middle of Alton Club, because when you're in San Francisco, back then especially, in order to get up every night, I think things have changed. Um, in order to get up every night, you had to do White Room Monday, 
Black Room Tuesday, White Room uh, Wednesday, Black Room Thursday. It's the greatest. It's the by the way, it's the greatest strength a comic can have. But it's a strength that like it's like your biceps. Not that I don't know if you're gonna really I know get what this. a bicep is. But okay. uh, but like biceps fucking, are like you know what, dude. <laughs> Because I'm Jewish, don't, I know what a bicep is. It's let's, let's I'm rephrase a medical that. doctor because I'm Jewish. So at least I know that. Black doing black clubs is like working out your chest, shoulders, and arms. Right. But the problem is, uh, you're going to neglect your legs. Uh-huh. So there are guys who've done too many black rooms, and then yeah. now they their legs look skinny and they look uneven at the beach. Right. But 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 doing them really does it. Absolutely. It, I don't know. I wonder now if I could do well at a black club i kind of don't think i could i know i could do crowd work at a black club you wouldn't pay uh, you wouldn't pander as much i wouldn't and it might not be as successful but at the time i did know how to kill in a black room and what uh, a muscle huh uh, yeah muscle that's definitely atrophied at this point i mean like i said i think i could do crowd work i'm very but i don't know if my jokes i will I, i have no idea but um and it's different i'm not saying I couldn't make a black audience member happy. I know for sure that's happened. When they yeah. when there's a mixed crowd and there's a bunch of black people, they'll love me. But a black room is a whole different thing. Yes. It's like a whole you're entering into a cultural uh, agreement where it's a di- it's just a completely different but you know. Yeah. yeah, no, no. I like what you're saying though because there I, I think some people don't understand quite honestly the fact that you go up. I remember um I did Mo Better Mondays. Uh-huh. And even D. Ray, who I knew, yeah, kind of dismissed me a tad bit, and he was like, "And I, and I, like, but not as a dick, but just as like, this is our room. What the fuck are you doing here?" Right. And then you got up, and I opened up with a Duran Duran joke. Big mistake. Oh yeah, I could have, t- I could have talked you through that. <laughs> Don't do it. I'm running to the stage. No, Bert. No. <laughs> Duran Duran. Is he related to Bruce Bruce? <laughs> so you want to hear about Bruce Bruce? This is a great black room story. I start, oh, I, oh, again, early on in my career, Bruce Bruce, there's a room called Pepper Bellies. Have you heard about yeah, that? Yeah, no, I know Pepper Bellies. Pepper Bellies has since burned down, people suspect, for nefarious reasons. I don't. And I, just legally, I don't. And uh, also, before that, a man was murdered there. So just to give you some context of what Pepper Bellies was all about. But um, they would give you $40 if you would drive 45 minutes to go open for somebody. So I was thrilled at the prospect because Bruce Bruce wanted a white opener. And uh, so I, I'm just like, I'm in, definitely. So I drive out. And so Bruce Bruce's crowd, Bruce Bruce is very funny. But his crowd is like older, conservative, churchy kind of black people. Okay? Yeah. And so his middle act, I go on and I do medium to bad every night, you know, sometimes okay, sometimes truly, and they don't want to see me, Yeah, uh, which is probably why they wanted the, a wide opener. You are the sorbet. That's right. I'm the, 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 the bitter sorbet for them. But the, his middle act is a guy named Black Boy. That's literally his stage name. And so I get up, I do like, a, you know, from zero to four out of ten. <laughs> is, is he black? Yeah, he's black. Okay, because it would be really I'm, funny if he was white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it's my job to go, okay, well, that was my time that you hardly enjoyed. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, coming to the stage now, it's Black Boy. <laughs> and he just could feel. Oh, shut up. You could feel the audience, like, everyone, like, what? What? What did he just say? And I would just, like, put my head down. Did he try to, try to hip-hop it up like, boy? No, black boy. No, I would just fucking say it and just go, like, hopefully this will work out and leave the stage. And Black Boy would come on. I just thought, what a crazy name. If you're in the entertainment industry, you are guaranteeing you will never make it in the mainstream entertainment. You're just guaranteeing. No one will ever give a development deal to Black Boy. 
You know what I mean? I mean, I felt like I was like, ladies and gentlemen, your next performer, it's Watermelon Chicken Man. Okay, good night. Everybody. It's just like so uncomfortable. He was funny too because he would, every night, if I did well, he would go, hey, give it up for that white boy. That white boy's funny, huh? Yeah. And if I didn't, every night, it's like he didn't know me. He would go up and he'd be like, ooh, that white boy stunk or whatever. Like, and I was just like, dude, it's we've already, it's me. I've been working yeah. with you for three days. Yeah. Like, come on. That white boy stunk. He would just talk shit if I did poorly. Anyway, it was such a strange thing. I worked with a guy named, uh, oh, fuck. I'm maybe making this up. I think I worked. I think his. I'm almost certain we worked together. His name's Damn Fool. Oh, Damn Fool. Yeah, yeah. sure. Damn Fool. I and am. I remember. I remember talking to him. I was like, I didn't. I didn't know what to call him in the green room. Right. I was like, Do I call you Damn or like I can't say <laughs> Damn Fool every time I'm trying to talk to you, Mister Fool. Yeah, Mister Fool. He like told me his name, and I was like, How come you chose Damn Fool? Like because he's funny as fuck. Right. He's re- <laughs> he's actually really talented. But I go, you're and and he was really crossover. Like it yeah. wasn't that he was. And I kept saying to him, "You're fun, like you're funny in the same way that Dave Chappelle's funny." But imagine if Dave Chappelle had been called "damn fool," yeah, like man. it wouldn't, you wouldn't. He, Dave Chappelle can cross over. It's really hard for a white audience to accept "damn, damn fool. fool." It's hard yeah. to sell tickets to a white audience totally. as "damn fool" because white people see that on the poster that says "damn fool," and I'm sure it's like BET, yep. uh, all the credits, BET's uh, whatever, and then. Russell Simmons and and then they're gonna go oh that's a black show I don't want to go there because oh, I don't want to be the only white guy yep so but but he's doing very well what so did he say um, did he just put his head in his hands and actually, shake his head and say I'm a damn fool <laughs> that's my real name <laughs> it's spelled so um but yeah the, the I, working at black clubs is a really totally it's a good muscle to have now where do you work do you do the road a lot now I do the road up yeah a ton really. Yeah. Uh oh wait wait I never finished I've I've never Bruce finished. Bruce oh I never finished any of the que- answering any of the questions you asked the point my point was the last thing I'd done was I'd done new faces for Laughapalooza holy shit which yeah. I thought was going to be the biggest thing in my life just <clears> the worst <throat> I could t- it's a long story which I could tell but whatever I'll get to your your final question to go to Montreal having done new faces felt all that anxiety come out of it the other end feeling successful like it was a good run going back to montreal and done like a regular run and then finally this was my I think my third or fourth time there that really? i that i yeah that i did an hour run every single night of the festival i was there when i arrived it was me godfrey and maria bamford and you that, godfrey and maria bamford that was the whole festival and then the festival like you know that was the only people that were there for the festival were us and uh, I think the Nasty Show was there too uh, so to do like a two week run I did I did 11 or 12 days 12 shows hour an hour on my own uh, and you know that's where you feel comfortable at a certain point it's very funny you know you get to the point where like you start you're like oh seven minute sets that's what I'm all about I'm all about the seven yeah. minute sets so people could know who I am and then eventually become like a real like sort of you calm down and get settle into your voice and into your body so an hour is like much more comfortable for me than a seven minute set oh, at yeah. an industry showcase so that was great you know to just go do my thing people came to see me and sold out I think uh, 12 shows or something it was just it was really cool well now <clears throat> did um I bought your book the um the title I'm never gonna remember the name of it's Casher in the Rye oh no 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 I'm sorry but the the, the oh, I knew that part the true yeah. tale of a white boy from Oakland who became a drug addict criminal mental patient and then turned sixteen so fucking so fucking fascinating it was the one book that I literally I want to say that you tweeted it and I saw it 
and the title fucking grabbed me and I just went right away and bought it and oh, then I awesome. t- and I tweeted out and I started reading it and it was like and I got I just got genuinely overwhelmed at all the shit that has happened in your life. Yeah. Before now, even before like uh, like uh, by the age of 4, I think you have a, a book worth of life. Yeah, that's I mean I had a strange life for sure, yeah. I was it's yeah. I mean, it's so funny because I was on my way over here listening to this uh, this American Life this week about this kid that was like he was in a Romanian orphanage until he was seven and a half, and he he never laid down. He slept sitting up because he was double in a crib, and he never was picked up by anyone. And then it made me think, like, you know, no matter what your weird life is, like, there's always some dude in Romania who's like way worse. You know what I mean? And vice versa. Like, no matter how bad your shit is, there's always some uh, some or yeah. how, how good your shit is. There's somebody that. So you just have to kind of like. I had that conversation with my wife today. Our dog's going back. It, our dog has got had so many fucking problems. Mm-hmm. Torn ACL. Now dislocated kneecap. Jesus. And I was like, you know what? There's someone dealing with more shit than us. Totally. Like, but but I will say. You, you you're kind of at a high water mark. I mean, I mean, it's it was definitely uh, crazy for sure. My yeah. life was very strange. Have you talked about it a lot uh, about your life? Yeah, in promoting know, the book, did it get to a place I, where you felt get, yeah, disconnected? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked because I don't I don't want to feel like a jer- I'm, I'm down to talk no, about it. No, I you know what? Like- I'm tired. Ta- like I am in the same boat you are, where I feel like I've <clears throat> I've done this soft shoe of who I am to people so much right. that it doesn't even feel real anymore. Yeah, and you're t- especially when you're talking about like you know the like deep emotional realities. It's like you don't want to get to the point where you feel like, yeah, so right, it did get pretty crazy. I mean, my parents are deaf, and then I you know I was in mental institutions, and you know it's like you don't want to feel that shouldn't feel rote to you, you know. <laughs> God damn it, man! But it's it is at a certain point people ask you the same question enough times, like you go, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. Especially when you write a book about it, and then that becomes you get on the phone with your marketing team, totally, and they kind of soft shoe around it, and they're like, "So, how comfortable are you? Right? We'd love to have you do some deaf interviews. It would be great to promote the book, right? And you're like, and you got to do what you got to do to promote the book, and yeah. Then on the other end of that, having done all the promotion for the book, yeah, it's sort of like I felt like God. I never want to talk about this book again. Which is too bad because it's some thing I'm the most proud of that I've done. I mean, more than any of you are a really great writer. You and Patton Oswalt, all Patton Oswalt are the only. I have not. I'm not saying I haven't read Mark's book, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I have it. I haven't read it. But you and Patton Oswalt are the two people that I've read that are comics that I was like, oh, they could have been other stuff too. Oh yeah, that's interesting. I I I I did that. I I tried very hard to make sure that the book stood on its own legs, literarily. That it was because I was like a lot. I went to these, and I won't name names, but I went to these publishers, and they would all give me the book of the people that they had published, the comedians that they had published. So funny, yeah. And so I would read a lot of these books. Were like some of them were like they were fun, but they were coffee table books. And some of them you could tell they were. You could tell one in particular, which I won't name. You could tell it was like a guy who'd gotten a book contract, and then like uh, went like fuck. All right. You know, I gotta like, uh, I gotta do something here. So then, each chapter was disjointed and like, like it was, it'd, it'd be like stand up notes and like just complete like, you know. So Dimitri Martin in it wasn't. <laughs> Dimitri's, no. I, I got Dimitri's book from someone. 
Dimitri's book, I didn't read the whole thing, but it did say I say what you will about whether you liked it or not. It did have a thing that it was doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's Dimitri, it's the way his brain works. Exactly. It felt like a Dimitri Martin book. Even if it was it was there was some it was very there's some parts that are very um weird and, and kind of experimental. Well that's what he's gonna do. Yeah. No, but I'm talking about a different book where it was like there there's, was a a chapter in there, I mean, I feel bad, but there was a chapter in there where he, this person just, I don't know if I should say it because it'll be so identifiable, but he just described the rules of a party game. And it was it was a whole chapter in his book. He's like, how to play this party game. And I was just like, dude, come on. You know that he was just like, fuck, I got to fill like 20 pages here now. What am I going to do? It was an established party game. It's not yeah. like he made the game up. Yeah. It, was just, it was like as if I was like, how to play you know, war, by, uh, how to play cards, you know? It's like, oh, and then you put a little funny thing. So I was very concerned with making sure that it read well, that it wasn't wouldn't be. I call them like take a shit books. Yeah, you know what I mean. You go and take a shit, and you're like, oh yeah, thumb through, and you go, okay, I'm done. I want to make a real book, and I, I, that I feel like I accomplished. You definitely did. You definitely did. And it was, it was the like I read your book. I read. I've been reading comics books for a while. Have you done but, a book? Uh, I'm just finished it. Oh, cool. It comes out May 27th. I want to say. Yeah. I'll tell you right now. It comes out June, July. It comes out, fuck, that's June. It comes out May 27th. Cool. Um, Who's but, doing it? St. <clears throat> Martin. All right, cool. And so uh, I have an alarm set that'll tell us when oh, it's time awesome. for us to leave. Cool. Because I got to pick up my daughter at. Oh, we have fun. We have fun. But you tell me when you got to leave, too. I, I don't have to leave till 1.30. So okay, perfect. 1.22 is when I have to leave. Cool. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I was, I was like, I, there was. There was the option of getting a ghostwriter. Oh, right. And they were like, uh, you know, a lot of people do it. And then they told me the people that had done it, and a couple of them, one of them was a, a friend I had Name had names. Friend. No, I was just kidding. <laughs> I, uh, I was so close. One was a friend of mine who lied to me and said he wrote his book. Whoa, no shit. And he, he lied to me, and I, I was like, because I, I remember... I What's well, embarrassing? Well, On the yeah. one hand, that's fucked up. On the other hand, it's kind of like, I'd be embarrassed. What's say. crazy is that at the time he was writing his book, uh, he bought a computer, and he had a hard time figuring out how to turn his computer uh. on. And I remember him going like, yeah, it's a brand new computer. Like, I'm sure there's an on. Like, and I was like, but I, I actually believed he wrote his book. I actually believed it. Right. And, uh, and, and then they told me, and they're like, no, he didn't write his book. Like, oh. we've, we did both his books, and he didn't write either of them. And I went, are you fucking shitting me? And I was like, and then I said to myself, I'm gonna write my fu- I'm gonna write my fucking book. I'm gonna sit in my room. I, will, I and and at the time, Greg Fitzsimmons, who I bought his book too. Greg Fitzsimmons was talking about using Dragon Dictate, and I was mm-hmm. like, Well, I'll try Dragon Dictate. Problem with Dragon Dictate is you can't be a drinker and use it because doesn't understand a word you fucking say. <laughs> I'm hearing Irish folk songs, Irish <laughs> folk songs. But uh, but yeah, reading your book and pa- yours and Patton's exclusively, I went, Oh, these are real fucking writers, and I knew I could write. Like I knew I was a mm-hmm. writer, and I thought that's where I'd end up being had I not gotten into comedy. Right. Well, that's sort of my thing. Is when I was young, if you had asked me, "Do you want to be a stand-up comic?" I would have never, it never occurred to me in my life until I got on stage. Yeah. Uh, but if you'd asked me if I wanted to be a writer, that was sort of always what I thought when I was a kid. Oh, I think I'll be a writer. I want to write books. You know, that was my. So I that made sense. I wanted it to be as accessible, like uh, like you and Patton have beautiful prose. The way you guys write really kind of jumps. It, it really kind of belongs on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted it to be as accessible as like 
David Sedaris, right, and um, and Ernest Hemingway. If that makes sense, sure. Like because like, that's how I do stand up. Well, and it I sort was of like, sounds like you know, I mean that's a, sort of who you are as a comic. You're like a a <clears throat> man, yeah. A, you know, man, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in your man cave. There's fucking so, rusty saws on the wall, and you know, I, I mean, got a fucking machete right yeah, here. Yeah, this is a man's <laughs> area. But also, you're a comic, so it's a, it's yeah. funny and it's clever. So that is, I see that that sort of coming together. Right? Now, what um, did you do? You ever feel like, like, so your book comes out, you're you're literally, I would I would say, what do you get? Like top ten comics of the year. You like you you're you're not a guy that you're not a guy that doesn't get accolades. Yeah, accolades sure. like you're they're well deserved. But do you ever feel like do you ever get to a place where you're like you're like I I accomplished my dreams. Now what's next? Well, that's funny that you. I mean, I don't feel like I get all of the accolades. In the no, world you don't there. get all the accolades. There certainly but, are those comics that get all of the accolades. You won't yeah. ever see a top ten list without them being on it. I'm, I don't consider myself one of them, but. Um, but I do. You're respected by the people that respect people. That's that's and that's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I do feel like I remember I had this thought once where I go because uh, I have a, a anxiety sometimes, you know, about my life and my career. And I I was going, well, what would you want to be doing if you could do anything? And I thought, well, I'd like to be like touring and writing books and making a living doing comedy. And then I just thought, like, oh, I'm actually that's actually what's currently occurring yeah so i just it's all about fear and neurosis like uh <laughs> so my dream you know the more the older i get the more i think all i want to do because i've been thinking a lot about this lately like no matter what i do i'm not gonna be even if i become dave Chappelle, and i'm gonna go ahead and say i'm probably not gonna become dave Chappelle. maybe i will but you know you know what i'm saying even yeah. if i become the top the, the apex predator of stand-up comedy even if I do that, no one's going to remember me in 50 years. No one's going to remember Louis C.K. in 50 years. He'll just be a fucking thumb, a page on the, you know what I mean? It's like maybe maybe in 50 years people go, yeah, Louis C.K., there was a very, very, he was a very funny comic in the, in the, the 2000s. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, and then in 100 years, nothing. No, yeah. no one's going to remember Phyllis Diller in 100 years. Like, you know, people will remember maybe prior in 100 years from now. Carlin. Carlin, I bet you Carlin will be gone. And I, the point is, there's no, there's no point to desperately like going like, oh, I gotta get to the top so the people know me or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, so my only real desire right now is to make stuff that feels like satisfying to me personally. Make a living doing comedy and continue to like make cool stuff. Like the one thing I do, I am obsessed with. Is I want to do stuff that my peers aren't doing. I want to not that I want to be better than my peers. I just want to do stuff that like they're not doing. So like you know, I felt like my book, even though I felt a lot of people are writing books, like I felt like, well, I want to write a real memoir. Like Your, yours was yours. It was very different than any of the comics books I read. Yeah, and I patents was yours and patents and my and I keep using patents because I haven't patents, read patents actually. Uh, Werewolves and lollipops, I think, yeah, is the name uh, of it. I read patents and I went. And that was the first book I read that I went, oh shit, like that really. And yours was in that same vein of like, this is real writing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're, and I think you accomplished that. I, yeah, so I, and I mean, not, obviously my story was weird, so it made it easier, but I was like, I wanted to make sure the writing was there. And then now, like, I sold the, sh the book to Showtime to make a show. Uh, and so now I'm like, cool, what I want to do right now is I want to make like a real 
like drama filled like a real i mean i don't want to say dramedy because it's such the worst word but i want to make like a half hour dark serious comedy yeah and i feel like of my peers in stand-up nobody's doing that like yeah. uh, no one you know lena dunham i don't know her or consider her a, a peer jeff uh, uh, yeah, Jeff Dunham. <laughs> Jeff Dunham's definitely doing a serious dramedy, but he doesn't know it. No, 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 no. Wait, who's, what's Lena Dunham? Lena, uh, girls. Fat girls? Girl. No, oh, my God. I can't believe I just said that. I can't either. Uh, but you said it. Shit. I, didn't. Fat I just girls? got in so much trouble for saying fat girls <laughs> at UCB. You can edit this out. But, <laughs> no. but <laughs> leave it. It's the. Gr- fuck. I can't believe I just. You know why I said that? Because Pete Holmes and I got into an argument of whether or not you could use the term fat girls. Uh-huh. And he had the girl from Girls on his TV show. Yeah. And so. And the girl that leads it is a tad bit sure over not overweight but maybe hey, doing may, maybe you just showed back up and i did edit that out who yeah. fucking knows <laughs> well, so we're back you were saying lena dunham jeff's sister is doing a great well she i'm not saying she's doing she's doing a half hour sort of dramedy but she's not a stand-up i don't know of any stand like i feel like all the stand-ups i know all the people that i'm peers with are either doing they're doing late night talk show situations yeah. late night panel show situations or, or sketch shows or like silly uh, sitcoms like so you got like if we to, you know if we say like you know you've got your Chelsea Lately's your Jimmy Fallon's your you know Chappelle shows or your Saturday Night Lives or your workaholics like I sort of feel like mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I do are making a version of those shows yeah. their own version and they're awesome yeah but I wanted to do something that wasn't like any of that so. That's my goal. My uh, what I am passionate about is continuing to do stuff that means something to me, and continuing to do stuff that is sort of different than what my peers are doing. I saw. I I, I, I was like that when I was younger. Yeah, I'm not what, that. What? what by the way, that's weird that you even say that because what you're doing is like so outside the box of what most stand-ups do. What's that? Your travel channel thing. Oh yeah. But oh yeah. Not like it's not like every comic I know is traveling around the world doing like a. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I'm going to long win this answer. God damn it, I need to do a podcast where I fucking, where my mic only works for 15 minutes. Because <laughs> I, I end up talking over people and not letting them Just be on my Just have me show. on, I, I talk a lot. So Dude, I'll have you on again, by the way. I could talk to you for fucking two hours. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, to go back to the you having deaf parents and going into a mental institution, and you felt like you oversold it, I feel like when I sold my book, I felt like... I get. I wrote all my great stories in there, and I've told all my great stories on podcasts, and I've got. Right. And I feel like I'm done. I know what I'm you mean. Fucking done, and I don't have any more stories. I haven't done. Look, I, I did a lot. I robbed a train. I fucking took uh-huh. PCP. Like, there's. I did it a lot of shit, but I'm like, I'm done. So, the, but the thing that I oh, I hang my hat on is that Travel Channel has allowed me the opportunity to really live an adventure every month right like a full-blown fucking adventure and like how much how many bits have you gotten out of the travel channel so fucking many that is so like, lucky and it's and so but i i run the risk of i run the risk of just talking about my tv show all the time so i still uh-huh. try to write comedy you know comedy is for me is something that i don't really it just shows up it just shows up and then i'm like ooh, that it's I'm the there same way yeah so but um i wish i wasn't man but I used to like I used to tell people when um uh I wish I wasn't too. I wish I could fucking sit and just jot down notes. Yeah, Dimitri yeah. Martin comes to mind right when he says this. He wakes right. up every fucking morning and works for an hour and right. write then like ten minutes allotted to writing making a new game, ten minutes allotted to inventions right. for ties. Like he's really uh compartmentalizing On that. On the other hand, 
Dimitri Martin has been doing comedy how long? As long 15, as me, 15 as long years. As Great. 14 years. How much do you know about Dimitri Martin? Not that this is superior or I, inferior. I know a lot. Well, no, no, no. You. <laughs> but I'm saying you, the viewer, <laughs> yes. we get to know almost nothing about that person, right? Mm-hmm. There are certain people who are, uh, you know, they write like that. I mean, Stephen Wright, too. You, know? it's yeah. like you don't know anything about Stephen Wright, you know? But like people like us, like who write based on our own, the experiences that happen to us, well, then the audience kind of actually has an understanding. Not that I don't think it's better or worse. Too just, much, too much sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I well, feel like I've. Podcast. Dude, I'm an open book. I mean, I go to shows now and people are like, T- tell about Isla and the tree. Right. <clears throat> the tree I just took out. But yeah. like, <clears throat> you, you, you get into this really, like, uh, I, I had to go to therapy for it. Really? Yeah, because I, because I have, I, there, I, when I stepped on stage, I remember thinking, I, the first time I was thinking, I don't want there to be a separation from who I am on stage and off stage. Like yeah. you'd see someone like uh, Dane Cook, mm-hmm. and you'd be like, he must be fun to get high with. Right. Doesn't smoke weed, doesn't right. drink, never, none. You really, really enjoy caffeine, right? And you're like, what? Totally. And then, and I'm not saying that I felt that it was a lie, but I felt that I'd been misled. Uh huh. Like, uh, like uh, Daniel Tosh, totally oh. thought stoner. Yeah. Right. You, lo- you just read it, and and it. It helps. It it helps tell the story when you see that guy and you're like stoner, hardcore stoner, maybe a little coke on Friday, Friday nights, right? Um, and then and so I was like, I want to make sure that I stay who I am on stage and off stage because that's who I am. It's an well, extension of who I am. Jesselneck too. Jesselneck's very nice. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you know disarmingly he's a, nice. He's a friendly, polite person. It's so funny. Like he 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 like write a mean tweet and yeah. you just go, I know that he's not joking. Like right, but um. And so I, it, it crept into my life, and I think these uh, the per- personas that I've developed. By the way, who I developed, like m- the machine thing that I I that was a part of who I was, mm-hmm. and it still is in a weird way. And so when people like want to take a shot, I take a shot with them, you know. Right. Like and so it 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 definitely. But to make a very long story short, when I first started watching stand up, I'd hear people go, "I'm a storyteller," but they didn't really tell stories. They mm-hmm. just would not tell jokes. They tell little longer jokes. Right. I was like, I want to be a storyteller. Yeah. I want to be like straight up the guy that could go into a fucking preschool and tell a story to kids. Yeah. And but then be careful what you wish for. It's also weird because like I consider myself sort sort of a storytelling comic too. My bits mm-hmm. are very long. I mean, they're ten minutes plus, and and I I love it. I wouldn't want to be a different kind of comedian. I almost feel like if I was a guy telling. Dimitri-esque jokes it feels to me just like oh I'm just uh, I'm just telling jokes like what's the point and yet what I enjoy watching I mean I like storytelling comics but like what I enjoy watching I enjoy like you know Zach Galifianakis and Brent Weinbach and like real weird people that's who I like watching so it's kind of like weird it's like but I never write that way I don't write that way but that's who I love watching too yeah I like watching a tell yeah, well, like set up punch. <clears throat> yeah, I like Norton. I don't. I although like he's a lot he's too. got he's kind of he's kind of uh, experimenting. I think in more of a storytelling way. Norton to me is the guy who should be like thought of in that Bill Burr, Louis C.K. sort of. Not that he's not respected, he is, but like he's like the the great like. The, the sort of unknown not that he's unknown but you know what I'm saying like yeah. I think Norton's like fantastic you think he's I, I think he's I think he is underrespected by yes. fans yes that's right by comedy fans like yeah. people don't mention him when they go like they're run down and they should basically and the re- it's very simple why what he's talking about is horrifying you know it's offensive <laughs> but it's so but it's so good it's so precious yeah and it's, because it's, it's he's being honest about something that no one would be honest like right. I felt like like I think I, I don't know when I talked to him. I don't. 
But I talked to him about like some pretty honest shit mm-hmm. one time. And I was like, oh, that's so weird to be that guy, to be the guy that you put your shit out there. And so now people feel safe going to you and being like, hey, man, right. let me talk about sex addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. People must constantly. And Stan Hope, I guess, is, is another guy that's just like so uh, brilliant. Stan Hope is, uh, is, I would say he should get like one of those uh those humanitas or no. mark twain no, yeah no what's the one where they give a guy one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to not do anything but his art oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah 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 a mcgovern what? grant uh, right i know i think i know what you're saying right god but yeah no he's so good yeah he, but whatever i mean hey we could blow smoke up everyone's ass yeah totally let's, let's talk, talk about, about people, people that are yeah <laughs> uh, there we go oh <clears throat> there's i uh I uh, I listened to you guys. I listened to the champs. Oh, cool, man! Uh, and I listened to the episode um, with uh, fuck. Um, shit! You can name the content. I'll Jody be- High Roller. Oh, riffraff, riffraff, brother. Yeah, that was <sighs> a rough one. That was a really. It was only a great podcast because it was so hard to listen to. You want to talk about persona getting in your way. That's a great example. It's like yeah. Rap must be on a whole other level of persona because, you know, at least you are allowed to say, yeah, it's just me on stage. You know, I'm just, I'm just a comic. But you're a rapper. Your whole thing is predicated on the fact that you're keeping it real. Yeah. So you can't. What, 90% of rappers are fake or doing a theater performance. But you are, you cannot say, Literally I'm doing fake. a theater performance. Yeah, you can't be like, "Oh, I'm fake." You know, I'm not. I'm not shit. You know, and then you're just people are like, "Oh, we're done." Rick Ross, uh, right? All, all, so many, almost everybody. He was a correctional officer, right? right. Yeah. But, so, but Jody High Roller is so lost in his persona. <laughs> I'm not sure that he doesn't. It's. It might be real at this point. It's like a weird. People go, "Is he faking it or is it real?" And I go, "Yeah." You know, both. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I couldn't get him to answer a single question. It was all just like, and at a certain point, it's like, we were comics, man. Like, you're not going to, Neil said it. He's like, we're too smart for this. Like, you know, you're doing a thing which is going to work for dumb people, but like, come on. Yeah. I would be like, what did you listen to growing up? And he'd be like, man, what's growing up? You know what I mean? I came up. I didn't grow up. You know, it's just like, okay, dude, (laughs) We'll, we'll, we'll be right back. The best part was that, uh, DJ Doug Pound. Yeah. Uh, it keeps jumping in. When I don't think he knows what's going on. Oh yeah, and he's like, "Wait, where's that coming from?" Yeah. Oh, his little <laughs> drops and stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that was a that was a very rough. Also, Jody was white. You know, Riffraff's white. Yeah. So we felt bad about that. You know, the champs too. The listener. champs only has has only ha- b- black guests. Black and then black adjacent. You know, we've had we've had some Mexicans on. We've had some. Uh, some uh, a couple a Pakistani and an Indian, but a, a Korean little Bobby Lee's been on. We try very hard never to have white people on. <laughs> I don't blame you. I mean, you know, you know what? No one. No, but here's the thing: is no one's no one's more qualified than than you. And I'd well, say Neil. Neil by <laughs> Neil by default. I mean, <laughs> no, I would say Neil maybe primarily. I mean, look, we're not really trying to get qualification. The truth is, like, what our idea was was like, what if we did a podcast where you know. It would be people, all people of color, and because our idea was like podcasting is so white. Yeah, it's like 
every camp, you know, the people are in, it's still just like a group of white people that go from podcast to podcast interviewing each other. Yeah. So we were like, what if, you know, if it was all black dudes, then, like, you know, almost everybody we got on with, it would be their first podcast. And it's true. I would say 75% of people that we have on our show have never done a podcast before. Really? And, you know, we've had the, it, like really cool, interesting people on Robert Townsend and Blake Griffin and Too Short came on, like, you know, uh, Wayne Brady, like a lot of people who had never done podcasts before. It was. I just thought it's been really cool, actually. That's fucking fascinating. I saw the list. I saw the list. Uh, I did, I did research for my buddy Mark, who was just mm-hmm. here, because I was like, I never do research. Yeah, sure. And then I was laying in bed this morning, and I was like, I was like, I, there's so much I'd want to talk to you about, and I was like, well, I should take a look at his Wikipedia, uh-huh. and I saw who you guys have had on in the champs, and I forget what name popped out, but I was like, shut the fuck up. Well, it's been interesting, <laughs> you know. It's like we've had a lot of really big people on, you know, John Legend and and Proz from the Fugees, and and uh, of course Riff Raff, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> um, um, Baron Davis. We had on. We've had, oh, all kinds of Barry re- Davis is an interesting dude. Well, he had an interesting episode of The Champs, you know. Really? He was like talking for like an hour about some very regular serious shit, you know, helping the children whatever. And then all of a sudden we start talking about this freeway. I don't know how we it got brought up, the freeway between Vegas and Los Angeles. And he goes, "Oh yeah, I was abducted by aliens on that freeway." And we were just like, uh, "What? <laughs> <laughs> take, take again?" Um and then he just doubled down on it. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like driving and then I kind of flashed out and I woke up like 40 miles later and I pulled off and I got in it. And we were just like, I was like, are you jo- are you like joking? He never revealed what, like he never said, yes, I'm joking. So whatever. It was crazy because we were just like, damn, you were just so serious and sober for like an hour. And then all of a sudden you're talking about alien. We thought nothing of it. The next day or two days later after we released it. It got picked up by this little sports blog, which sent it to like Yahoo Sports, which sent it to all of a sudden it was just like everywhere. It was on the front page of the New York Post. Uh, like, you know, Baron Davis. That That's the pulpy one, right? The Post. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So it was like, Baron Davis, I've been abducted by aliens. There was like a <laughs> UFO above him as he's dunking. And, and he, I mean, it was just like, became a national sports news story. And. That was kind of the coolest thing that's happened. I mean, it was bad for him. He was like, what the fuck did I just do? Uh, but, hey, man. No, I, the one thing I know about brothers is uh, I'm not going to say all, never say all, but all my black friends have been in, have run trains on girls. Oh, really? Oh, that's I remember in, that's what it I got to know. the point. I'm, I'm not going to say names, but it got to the point where I was sitting with three black men and they were shocked that I had never run a train on a girl. Ah, that's interesting. That's that's a stereotype I've not heard about yet. Seriously? Yeah, no, I didn't know. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. But uh, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, because we talk about stereotypes a lot on the podcast. Bring like, it up. And uh, then and then just, right. just uh, give me like a little side credit. Oh, yeah. Bring, yeah. I'll definitely bring that one. Yeah. And I'll shout you out. <laughs> Uh, you know, conspiracy. Like so far, we've talked about like conspiracy theories. Like a lot of black dudes believe in conspiracy theories. Uh, wa- washing with a washcloth—that's uh, more of a stereotype about white people. The white people don't wash with a washcloth. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I've never I never use a washcloth. We just scrub with our hands. Shut the know? fuck up. Yeah. But, are you serious? Yeah. Okay, let's do more stereotypes because there are things like uh, all all black men mm-hmm. know how to make fucking great omelets. Is that right? Yep. I don't know about. I this. was taught how to make omelets. Twice in my life. I like this. Twice. Patrice O'Neill, Donnell Rollins. But you can't... Black a, men always season the pan and not the omelet. Uh, this is very interesting. I'm, but I'm, your sample population is a bit small. <laughs> Donnell and Patrice. I don't feel like... 
I don't, I don't well, one know. group in Boston, one group in Maryland. That's, that's reaching <laughs> half that coast. You're like the world's worst scientist. <laughs> they only- uh, with an exhaustive research study of uh, Ashy Larry and from the guy from the office. Uh, like, no, you need more. I feel like this is plenty. This uh, will suffice. Black black men always. I say men. Cause I don't really know. I, I have the only like I've never had. Black women have a power over white men that um that I think makes most white men uncomfortable. That's interesting. interesting. I believe these are all my. By the way, these are all no, my your race theories. Sure. My race theories yeah, is that yeah. is that black women, uh, black women just have a power over me. Let me just rephrase that. Why am I saying fucking yeah, white men? Sure, black women have a power over me, and so I don't. I never really like. What do you mean by that? Uh, I mean what power? Like you find them sexy, you find them scary. What do you? No, I think sexy. Sexy. Like it's a, it's a it's um a confident energy. Yeah. That they like. I got into a very long conversation with Samora one time. Sure. And we almost had her on, and she disappeared, literally. Really? She was like, I'd love to do it. It was at Montreal this year. Yeah. She's like, I'm so thrilled. I'd love to. And we we're like, great. How about four? Four is great. And then all of a sudden, she just, like, <laughs> we started texting her. She's like, no response. And then her manager was like, Samora will be unable to. You motherfucker. We just talked to you a half hour ago. Anyway. Like, I'll, I'll put it this way I hooked up with one black chick once. Yeah. And then she cuddled me. <laughs> she spooned you. She spooned me. <laughs> <laughs> in my bed it like, was my here, bed come here baby she pulls you over to her like she, it was yeah but like I, maybe it's a sexual energy I don't know but like black men I can always connect to really quickly mm-hmm. I always have like a I feel like a brotherhood I don't know like Warren Sapp and I hung out one night oh really yeah That's Warren cool. Sapp should do your podcast I would he's, love that he's great yeah, yeah he's got some great fucking stories I bet Um, he but I I connect really quickly with black men I think sometimes Um, black women I always I always feel like I end up listening a lot. You feel intimidated. You know, it's interesting because I grew up in a black situation. You know, like I grew up in Oakland in a public school system. So everybody was black around me all the time. So my relationship with black culture, like for a long time when I was young, was based on like fear and worship. You know what I mean? Like I, I was sort of afraid and uncomfortable because like, you know, the truth is like, you know, I would get... You know, when I was real young, I'd get, you know, jumped. Or if there was, like, a big group of black teenagers walking towards me, like, in in Oakland, it was just like, uh, uh, let's see how this goes. Yeah. Uh, And then, uh, so that's, and then worship, because I was in a social environment where black kids were the top of the food chain, you know, by far. Yeah. I I say in the book, like, you know, what would be a letter, uh, you know, uh, the high school quarterback, you know, blonde chip or whatever, wearing a letterman jacket was like a black gangster. That was like the top sort of social thing that you could be. It's like, oh, look at the gangster. He's so impressive. And so, um, so my stuff is all, I was talking the other day, speaking of stereotypes, I was on the podcast talking about, there was a moment where, because a stereotype about white people, and it's probably true. Uh, that black people have about us What's is that? that we scream at our mothers. We swear oh, at yeah. our mothers oh, or, yeah. or tell our mothers to shut up. Like that kind of shit is much less common in a black family. And, there were, and I was telling this story about I was at, in junior high when I was in the middle of all my trouble. My mom was there. We just had like some behavioral meeting. My mom's screaming at me. We're at my middle school and I'm walking out and I'm just like, fuck you, mom. And I like, as I said that, or, you know, I turned my head and there's this black girl, like a, a hundred feet away across the, the quad at my, just like, it's like, you know, that turn into their eye contact and yeah. she just like shakes her head all slow-mo. She's like, fucking white boys. <laughs> I was just so ashamed. <laughs> I was so ashamed. She like reached right into my like world. Fuck. And like, 
fuck you, mom. No. It was really quite a moment. I was reading something online last night about um stare about uh about knockout. We were talking about knockout. Oh, the knockout, game knockout. Yeah, sure. And I was reading something online and it was saying that the media has perpetuated this. I believe that. Do you? 100%. I think I'm not 100% sure if knockout is real. We were talking about this earlier like I think maybe it's fake or maybe it isn't fake, but now it's not fake. No matter what, if it was fake or it wasn't fake, now everybody's watching it on the news going, oh, the, the knockout game, I guess we'll play the knockout game. And, yeah. then, and then, so then people, you know, start to, I, I start to do it. I mean, honestly, what's the knockout game? People randomly assaulting people? That's not new. That's yeah. been happening. That's always been happening. They, in Australia, they call it a king's punch. Is that right? It was a really big thing when we were in Australia, last, when we were in Australia, like probably six months ago. Um, they said, you know, you got to be careful for the King's Punch. It's really popular right now. They're talking about it on the media. Whoa. So I wonder if, I, and I read this and I went, I went, I go, what's the King's Punch? And it's like a soccer punch. Right. People are soccer punching people and right. one kid had died in Australia. Well, yeah. And then people say that maybe it feels like race baiting. And in a way it does. It like, is race baiting. You know, it goes it's like, telling white people, if you be see afraid. A, be afraid of young black men. Right. Be afraid. And then you get into this thing where you go like, yeah, except that if I saw a group of like young white, you know, hip hop hooligans, I would be just as afraid. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I would be like, oh, these are the same dudes that are, you know. If I see, if I see a, a group of young Vietnamese kids who are just, just who are they? Do I don't they even need, sweet? I don't even need them to look like anything. Oh, no? <laughs> if I see a group of anything walking towards me, yeah. I get, I fucking, but I'm a, I'm obsessive compulsive and riddled with anxiety. Uh-huh. So I look at things two steps ahead of everything. Right. Like it. Uh, like a uh, dude was working out behind me in the gym at the hotel. I'm on the treadmill. There's no mirror. And he's standing behind me. I had to stop and go, hey, man, you can't be behind me. What did he say? He was like, what? I was like, you can't. Like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like, if you could just be off to the side a little bit so I can see you in my periphery. Because he was like, he was like right behind me. Uh-huh. And I was like, you can't. And, but by the way, and I'm putting it in perspective. Say the room's this big, this as yeah. big as this right here. And there's three treadmills here and all the weights are over here. He's behind my treadmill working Way out. Over yeah, with, and so I'm like, weights? and I go, you can't do that, man. Yeah. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I'm, I'm here. You need to be over there. That's how this works. Because I. My brain is like yeah. three steps ahead. I you always see tr- him clanging that barbell on your head, killing me. And uh-huh. I fucking in a, in a hotel. And then it was a heart attack. He drinks a lot. So yeah. um, but so what he said? Did he do it? Yeah, he did it. Yeah, he did it. I would have just left if I he was, was him. I'd be so embarrassed. He actually was. He was. I was like, I was pretty cool about it. I, I'm very bad with confrontation. Yeah. So when I confront somebody about anything, it's so apologetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so over the top. Like, but um, but yeah, I, I read that and I was like, you know what? They are if. I believe Chris Rock is right in saying the media is not racist when he said that. But I do believe the media is racist. I do believe that it is white people running the media and they are predominantly and they are and they just go, what sells? Right. Except I think it's like one level beneath that, which is like, yeah, racism is everywhere in the media. I don't think anybody in the media, well, not anybody, obviously, like Ann Coulter is like lit, obviously deciding to go like, mm, what would be, uh, this is terrible. Do people respond? Yeah. But like most media, and Fox News to some degree too, but I think most media, they're just writing in the world that they live in, you know, what sells, what, but not, like you were saying, what sells, like we'll do this and it'll be inflammatory and people will buy the paper. But it's more like they just, we're all a product of this system that perpetuates you know, racism and perpetuates classism and poverty. I mean, it's also, like I said, if it's a group of young, like, white kids that are obviously all, like, street hooligans, it's the same kind of thing. I'm afraid of youth. 
Youth are scary. Youth you know, in general. Youth are scary. Yeah. They're, that's not even, you should be afraid of youth. I mean, think about yourself when you were young and also think about, you know, things have gotten more sort of detached and violence has gotten more celebrated in London. And honestly, a lot of it is hip hop's fault. Uh, you know, I know that's an unpopular, I you know, thing to say. But all video games, I think, I, I think it's silly for people to go video games and hip hop don't call music don't cause anybody to do anything. It's like you know that they do. We yeah. all know that they do. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's just the way that it is. Also, the media, the media, and also you know, corporations. They're all you, you know the devaluing of human life. Everything is connected. But let's stop pretending like you know. You can listen to a song a thousand times like, kill kill the cops, kill kill the cops. And it doesn't yeah. affect the way people think about the cops. By the way, I, I don't like the cops very much. But uh, You don't? I don't love them. You do. You seem like a guy that yeah. does. Yeah. I always call them sir. They're abusive. Not to you, I guess. <laughs> Not to me. Not to me either, honestly. <laughs> the, but yeah, but you know what's so funny is uh, I, had an, I had an interaction with a cop uh, at, at – um, Burbank Airport. Uh-huh. I pulled in to pick up my parents, and I parked. I they were had their uh, their stuff, and I pulled into a handicapped spot in the parking mm-hmm. garage, and they went to load, and the cop pulled up right behind me, and uh, and said, uh, "This isn't a loading zone. I'm gonna have to give you a ticket." And I went, "Okay." And he went, "Oh no, no. I mean, I get this is a six hundred dollar ticket." And I said, I, "I understand that." And he goes, "No, I'm telling you, you you, you can't just." And he was really had an issue, right. and I was like, "I'm so ingrained to respect the police uh-huh. that I went, sir, I've I've clearly broken the law. Is my I did not know that is my ignorance, but the ignorance is not it does not what is it? Ignorance is not defend you against breaking the law. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't know I, if that's a saying, but, it's, it's uh, something uh, like that. It sounds right. <clears throat> um, and so I said, I apologize, and I I deserve the ticket, and I'll wait until you write it up. And he said, Well, if you wait, you can't wait here. I said, well, if I'm getting the tickets, or I'm going to hang out in the handicap spot while you write it. I'm not mm-hmm. going to go park somewhere else so you can write me a ticket for what I did. And he was like, he was like, well, you can't just sit here. I'll have to write you another one. And I said, well, then you're forcing me to write. I said, sir, you got to do whatever you got to do. I apologize. In my head, I'm like, I have the money to pay it. It's not yeah. a big deal. And he's just was like, just leave. But I think I just killed him with kindness. Yeah. But that was a way, you know, raised, especially in the South. Raised in the South, yeah. cops had sometimes had a chip on their shoulder. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's the real, the real problem with cops uh, uh, is that they're, pe- they're just people. You forget. <laughs> they're just like people. <laughs> You know, they're just people and they have a uniform on. They forget, too, by the way. They they stop acting like people. You know, you ever try to, like, make a little joke in line with a cop? They're, like, not into it. Yeah. Because they were like, I'm not a person. I'm a, you don't joke with me. I'm in this uniform. I'm wearing this outfit. I've done those jokes before. Yeah. The one time, uh, I bet I could get your gun. Oh, well, that's a great one. (laughs) I mean, I could have, that's like your Duran Duran joke at the black club. (laughs) 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 The only thing less popular than a Duran Duran joke at a black club is a joke about grabbing a cop. <laughs> but I can get your gun. <laughs> but um, but you know they they have there's a system. Are we done? No, no, no. I'm just checking to see if we're still recording. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's a system where they can't not be abusive. That's what I'm saying. It's like, do I think most cops join the force so that they can unfairly pull over and beat up black people? No. But there's a system in place, and when they get into the they get into that uniform, they get this you know power feeling of power, and then they have like you know the the you know arrest laws and the neighborhoods that they're sent to, and the things they're taught to look for. So all of a sudden they're just pulling over black guys all the time, and then you know a thousand black guys in, you know every black guy they've pulled over has been pulled over a thousand times. So by the time they pull a black guy over a thousand times and gotten an attitude a thousand times because the guy that they're pulling over is inside of a system that's racist pulling them over. Over, yeah. Then they start going, well, fuck these people. And then 
then, then everything's downhill, right? Yeah. And then, you know, by the time you get to your thousand pullover, it's just like, shut the fuck up, hands on the deck, and then everybody feels abused, and everybody sort of is being abused, except the cops are supposed to be better. They're yeah. not supposed to be doing... It should be. There should be some. I mean, the only way to solve it is make all cops millionaires. Uh, Right. (laughs) That's interesting. Make all cops millionaires. I mean, no, I don't think that would work. I think they would still be like, in the name of justice, I, you know, I'm pulling you. They have the law in New York. They can just search anybody. Right. That's fucking insane. But you know who gets searched? It's black and Latinos. Yeah. 90% of the stop and frisk stops have been black and Latinos, which it's an insane law. You've That's, done nothing. It's a really crazy law. It's like literally you look you look black. <laughs> That's what you're being pulled over for. That is insane. I mean, I mean you can't you can't help but not think that that there's, you know, that the, whatever someone may begrudge and go, oh, black people's little chip on their shoulder. I'd fucking be Hell irate. Yeah. I'd be irate. My life experience is so user friendly. Right. I mean, I go in and when I and and I have a shorthand I can share with people that I know how to talk to, like, like if I if, if a white cop pulls me over, I almost right. I'm like, listen, we have I know my buddy Jack's a cop in Tampa. Yeah, I know how to deal with what what's going to happen, and I, I know when to stop, and I know what you know. Right. So, but um, but you, I, it's it's, what's well, like this, like the people who say because that's the thing that like white people like to say is uh, some white people, uh, and you know not all not only white people, some people in general they like to say you know get over it. get over it it's, yeah you know thing bad things happen but get over it and then you go you know like we're, you're here now and then you go okay well what do they mean i've been thinking about this a lot because i've been trying to write a bit about it it's kind of complicated to write but what do they mean when they say get over it or the, they, the things happen in the past but now so we had slavery and then that ended in i don't know what it was 1834 well, i don't have any idea something like that. Uh, oh when 1870 civil wars 1870 i want to say the emancipation proclamation was 1870 uh, then they immediately i mean instantly switched over into segregation so yeah. then that went all and that went all the way up to like 1960 what 5 yeah so okay you got slavery then you got segregation until 65 then then you had sort of I mean, I'm not going to say it was perfectly good. There was, you know, poverty and there was, you know, he had the 70s. People were chilling out, yeah. bell bottoms, shaft. Hey, was- what's up? And then in the 80s started the war on drugs where they just were like transferring basically segregation and slavery. They they put both of them into our prison system. So yeah. they go, oh, well, I mean, we can't legally. Oh, I got it. We'll just like we'll just start, you know, basically shipping people off to prison to warehouse them. There are more people in prison. My girlfriend told me this the other day. There are more people in prison. There are more black men in prison today than were ever enslaved in this country. So it's like, well, when were they supposed to get over it? During the 70s? I mean, yeah. it was just the 70s. That's when, that's, uh, that was their time to get over it. It was like yeah. 10, you know, 63 to like 81. Or, <laughs> like, hurry, we got to get over it. Yeah. You know, it's like, but they were just, they were busy, you know, dancing to disco and wearing bell bottoms. Fucking Soul Train. Yeah, man. They were dancing. They're yeah. trying to get over. We didn't give them enough time. The- <laughs> It was the afterglow of the seventies. Was all the there was still racism, right, but like I said, you know it's a, it's a flawed premise anyway. No, no, no. The seventies were great, but the point is there is like get over it. There is no that's such a white uh, place of white privilege, and I'm not a guy that's like white privilege blog blog blog. Yeah. But like that's literally the example of white privilege is you go get over it because for you 
not you, but you know, yeah. for the guy saying it, things have always been chill. So you think, well, things have always been chill. I mean, you, they they're chill for you too, right? Yeah. It's like no, we, we're living in different realities. Like you're not living in the same reality that they're living in. They're living in a reality where they were born into a family that the grandmother was involved in 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 segregation, and the great great grandmother was a slave. And so yeah. it's not like it just stopped at some point. Every it, it's not like at the end of any of these things, somebody like wiped some dry erase board clean and were like it was right, still there. Over. It's it's like tattoo removal. Yeah. Like there's still remnants of the old tattoos. And right. despite the fact that you got one on the neck off, you still have two on your hands. Right. I mean, it's like, well, we go, well, why are there so many? Why is there so much crime in the in the in the in a black neighborhood? Well, let's let's ask the question. My 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 biggest pet peeve is it seems like the liberal blogger world right now, the Jezebel dot com kind of like don't make that kind of joke, police. What they want is for us. They want for us to be uncomfortable to talk about things, honestly. Oh, my God. Don't get me fucking started. That, for me, I used to talk uh, a lot about race on yeah. stage. I, a lot. Yeah. And, and unapologetically and, not, and never right. fearful and always honest. And, and, ne- and, like I was, uh, and I would have old black men consistently coming up to me going, don't stop doing what you're going to do. Yeah. And then it got to a place where I was like, wow, you can get in trouble for, just, for not even being mean. Right, just and, talking, and just being... just talking, and and talking is the way to get it. Like when, once you once you get w- white people, and I say corporate white America, yeah. to be terrified to even have the conversation, you've, there's an yeah. impasse. It's never going to get better. The ultimate example is like there's this current. I don't know how I, I follow this stuff pretty closely, but there's this current thought within the kind of activist community, which is that there's no such thing as. Uh, w- racism against white people that doesn't exist so let me just explain that concept right reverse racism is a concept that by its definition cannot exist because according to this school of thought racism requires power you have to be empowered and be for racism to exist it has to be disempowering a person so therefore uh reverse racism is a contradiction terms now leaving aside the definition of racism which does not mention. I mean, this is a completely concocted intellectual, like you know, c- college campus, you know, make them up. I mean, they just made that idea up that you need to be powerful to be racist. According to the definition of racism, racism is just you know believing that one race is superior or inferior to another or discriminating on them. But whatever. Yeah. Leaving that aside, it's like okay. There's a very popular joke online right now uh, by a stand-up. I forget the guy's name, and it's a good joke, by the way. It's just based on this premise that there's no such thing as reverse racism. So he says, you know, people often complain about what I do on stage and they say, well, aren't you just being a revert about white people? What I say on stage about white people. And they say, aren't you just being a reverse racism, racist? And he goes, well, I could be a reverse racist, but I would have to. And then he goes to this very complicated. It's a good bit. Yeah. You go back in time. Who is it? Where, how can I find it? I don't know the fucking guy. Black name. dude? We could, we could find it out. but No, no, keep going. But keep... I'd like to drop it so you can watch it because it's, it's a good bit. He's yeah. it's a talented guy. He's funny and it's a, it's a well thought out joke. He goes, get into a time machine, invent a time machine, go back in time, start, you know, uh, uh, it, you know, go right before white people came and colonized, blah, blah, blah. And I would then instead colonize them and then I would sit, set them up in a system of oppression that would blah, 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 blah. And then I could be a reverse racist. It's a very good bit, but it's a flawed premise because it's like it's all based on the idea that there's no such thing as reverse racism because of their rejection of uh the the nomenclature the, the word reverse racism or yeah. or that it matters or i don't know what exactly the, but it gets you to this place where you go okay from my perspective it's like okay there's no such thing as being racist against white people but we're t- 
then let's make a new. Can we talk about? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. When a black dude comes up and says, "You white bitch," like you know what I'm talking about. Even if it's in a system of empowerment where it doesn't matter as much as if a white guy says, the, "You black bitch." Call it Larry. He's being yeah. so Larry right now. Yeah, it's not, but give I mean, it a name. But they want to. Per- this the discussion wants to be like, "No, that doesn't exist." Well, you know what I'm talking about. No, 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 yeah. it doesn't exist. We're like, okay, but we're trying to have a conversation here. No, yeah. no, no, no. It's like, okay, fine, it doesn't exist. Yeah, uh, I'm stuck. So I sort of feel like. You know, I want to be able to have. Every, I'm a white dude, right? I'm, an, mm-hmm. I'm Jewish, so I'm a little bit off white, but I'm still a white dude. So <laughs> I get that it's not like, uh, you know, oh, poor me, you know. I, I would say that reverse racism doesn't matter as much as race as regular racism because they're. I think what they mean is like reverse racism. Like if somebody comes up to you and says you white bitch, you go like hmm, and it ruins your day. But then you go, you know, you go not get pulled over go by play the tennis, cop, you know. But yeah. regular whatever racism is just a systemic part of like an entire system. I get it. It's yeah. worse. Racism against black people is, yeah. has more powerful impact. I will say this. How about this? Uh, how about with children? Mm-hmm. There is like children could be uh, racist or even reverse racist to each other. So hypothetically speaking, right. say a group of Chinese kids all go to Chinese school on Saturdays. They, it's something they do. Our friends are Chinese. Mm-hmm. And my daughter wants to go. And they say, no, you can't. You're white. Right. Go home. Right. Well, they're, they, then they're saying that that doesn't exist, that, that my daughter wasn't – there was no reverse racism in there. But my right. daughter has no power over a Chinese kid her <laughs> right. same age. Right. But th- I think their point is – and I, I don't know for sure but because it's not my opinion. But I think their point is like it doesn't matter. It hurt your daughter's feelings, but it's not connected to any oh. larger it – it, it has no meaning. It doesn't then define them. Right, it they don't. It your daughter's yeah. not going to take that. Probably take that lesson and go mm, stuff it into herself and go. Mm, it does mean it is shitty to be white. And then the next interaction she has, like, hmm. And then eventually she's an adult who's what? like yeah. walking around, like oh, nobody wants a white girl around. Damn you know it, what I mean? Man. Which That's... is true. Nobody wants a white girl around. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on. I'm, I'm, uh, I. But what you describe is a real thing that happened. Yeah. So you know, it's like. Okay. By the way, those Chinese kids didn't say that to my daughter because those are our friends. But I'm just saying, right. had that happened. They said like my, Choi Chin Chow or yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so. <laughs> Kai Lin, bitch. <laughs> so so but I think the biggest problem right now is that – and this is what's real interesting because how old are you? 41. 41. So you're – yeah, you. I mean you grew up in the same sort of – I'm 34. But still, we remember the time, especially listening to hip-hop, where young – activist people were fighting against conservative stuff shirt censor people like Tipper Gore and you know focus on the family yeah. and you know we were out there for like oh we can say anything we want you know Ice-T can say cop killer and, and Jell-O Biafra can say and then somehow the young people not that I'm not young and you're not old you know but it's like we're not the young people the young generation some of the young generation become these fucking weird censorship thought police that Tipper Gore was saying like oh I'm not saying it's censorship I'm just saying it's this is this is affecting people and we shouldn't be talking about it yeah. it's the same exact language that these conservative that the Tipper Gore the focus on the family people had but now it's like some blogger with like a you know a, a patchwork skirt on and like you know librarian glasses was like well I'm you know I'm I'm an activist like I said I said to uh, I'll tell you the exact story I was we were shooting something for Travel Channel uh, we were doing a bike bomb 
Uh, meaning like we take bi- bikes from the top of a hill in Portland all the way down to the bottom. And I'm, and I'm very sensitive to everyone at all times uh, regardless. But when we're working with travel, I'm definitely, I definitely have my hat on to make sure that I represent the network in a, in a positive light. I never say – I don't curse. I don't, I'm not like – I'm not – but that's because we started doing Birth Conquer and it was mm-hmm. more like a – for children, we were at theme right. parks. So um, this girl gets into an accident and causes a pretty big accident. Uh, and they're all very hipsters. They're all what you're kind of saying. Oh, I say hipsters. They're very nice people, and I had a really great time with them. Right. But I'm just telling you what happened. This girl gets in an accident, causes a big accident. One guy loses his tooth, and boss, everyone's really it's yeah. fucking total wreck. We're going 40 miles an hour on kids' bikes, right? And I am concerned, and I go over, and she has a huge strawberry on her arm, right? And she's probably 23, I'd yeah. say. And I went, "Honey, are you okay?" And she lost her shit. She goes, "Don't fucking call me honey, and don't touch me." And I was like, I was like, wow, I don't know. I didn't, right. I really, in the moment is what I said. Now I'm 41. I grew up in a different time right. than she did 20 years after. I don't know what to say to her. I, I wasn't going to call her. I, I actually thought of this after. I wasn't going to call I would never refer to her as Miss. Right. Because I'm hanging out with her. I'm doing something active with her. It's not, in, it's not that informal. She's not my waitress. Right. Um, I'm not going to refer to her as Toots or, or Ma'am. Ma'am's disrespectful. I can tell you what the blogger would say. What? What would you have said to a, a guy that that happened? Dude. Yeah, or hey, dude. dude. I would have said no. I would have. I would have been, dude. Are you okay? That's right. exactly what I said to the other guy. Right. I go, dude. Are you okay? Right. And he didn't go. Don't call me, dude. Uh-huh. I'm not a dude. <laughs> right, right, I fucking. Right, right. I read books. Dudes don't read books. Well, you know what's unfair about that interaction is like, I get a woman saying. By the way, I was in the wrong. Right. I was but in the wrong. And and supposed that. Not only that you should have known better, but you should have known better and had all of the context necessary. For why that felt offensive to her, yes. she, she presupposed that you should have gone to all of the feminist, uh, you know, uh, women's studies classes she's been to, read all of the books, and had all of the information, and you brought and you knew all that, and decided, ah, eh, fuck it, I'm gonna call this bitch honey. I mean, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, in your mind, like, but it's not true, and it's like she's a person in that situation can say, you know, what? I don't like being called honey. Yeah, you know, completely. There's a guy his name's Colonel, and I hung out with this guy a lot. And that's, yeah. his real name's Colonel, by the way. Yeah. but it's like K E R N L, and um, and he he embodies like the fuck it attitude of being of owning going to Burning Man. Sure, uh-huh. he really goes to Burning Man and yeah. fucking goes there for the art installations. Right, but um, and he's a cool guy. I'll fucking get his name on Twitter and I'll tweet it. But uh, and me, me and him have kept in touch, uh, somewhat. And but he said to me. I said, she, everyone fucking, he goes, it's just an outdated term. Yeah. He, said, he goes, I'm just giving you a heads up. You, can't, you just can't call someone honey. He's my age. Colonel's my age. And he was, uh, and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I know you didn't mean anything wrong with it, but you just, it's outdated. And I went, and I apologized profusely to her and to him. She still had a fucking, she was still really upset with me and I don't think ever got past that. Uh-huh. And I, and, and by the way, let's, let's take a nod for a fucking 41 year old man to apologize profusely to a 23-year-old female who who is inconsequential in my life. I don't really need to apologize. I can just walk away and go, well, that interaction sucked. Right. But I didn't, and I apologized. She didn't even acknowledge it. I'm sorry. Bitch, are you okay? (laughs) But I didn't know what to call her, and I was like... she never... She never... She was never... I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. She seems awful. She was... I mean, you learned a nice lesson, and you won't do that again. She seems terrible. But she, she also did just wreck pretty bad and was all scratched up. So her adrenaline was probably flying. There was a lot of things that I could forgive. No, nah, I'm going to say she's terrible. But <laughs> uh, but it's interesting. I'm thinking right now. It's like you probably won't ever do that again, huh? No, never. 
I wonder if st- you- I won't the, that's the thing. I won't ever talk to a woman that's younger than me if I don't know what to say to them first, if I don't know their name. Would you ever finger a woman that's younger than you? Your wife, she's not going to know. She's older. Or she's giving you per- permission. Or no, in this I world. No, I don't. Can I be honest with you? This is going <laughs> to yeah. sound horrible. I don't feel like vocal cords should develop until you're fucking 28. <laughs> Just like, for anybody. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, anybody. I don't want to hear much of what yeah. super young people have to say. 23. I'll take 23. Right. Like, like I just I just feel like those thoughts are thoughts well, that are not formed. What if those were her first words? She was 23. She was like, mm-hmm. don't call me honey, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I probably, it did change the way I will interact with people. I'm but wondering. it just made me out of fear. I know, I know. I mean, but, it's terrible. That just sounds terrible. It's like there's a lot of people, uh, transgendered people, mm-hmm. um, who they will, they will, people that were born into one gender and then feel that they were born into the wrong gender, so they switch or they go through a process of switching and they, they prefer a new uh, pronoun. Right, they prefer you know the, your your friend Ben now wants to be called Becca and would like you to call her she now, yeah. and which is look that's intense for a person, especially I mean I'm from the Bay Area, I'm young, you know, like and it's hard for me to sometimes wrap my mind around. I can only imagine what the rest of the world feels. So I feel like it should always be like, hey. I mean, look, and I'm not, I know, again, I'm not trans. I don't know what it means to really go through this, but I feel like it's always be like, hey, look, I know this, this is going to be inter- intense for you. I know it's going to be weird for you, but I've decided this and I'm going to, and I would prefer, and I know, but it, it would be respectful if you adjust. But the vibe often will be like, it's her, okay? And it's like, but wait, you've changed reality. Give me some time. Yeah. I, I need to catch up. Like, you've changed everything. Yeah. I, Maybe I'm ignorant, but I'm still living in the ignorant world that I was born into. So give me like a little compassion. But then I think that the counter argument, and I bet you this is what that girl would say. She probably was just like an awful person and also hyped up on adrenaline would be. I'm tired of having to calmly explain to a man why he shouldn't call me honey. Yeah. I've been called that my whole life. I don't give a shit if it hurts your feelings. I mean, I'm, I bet that that's yeah. the vibe. I'm tired of. You know, I've been called, you know, you know, faggot and, and you know, shim and shemale my whole life. Well, I don't care anymore if it makes you uncomfortable. Call me fucking her, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I imagine that's the, ca- the counter. I'm not – I've never had to st- – I've never had to struggle up. Right. So I don't know that. Right. So for, it's interesting because I'm coming from a perspective of never having to struggle up, never being called right. honey or toots or sweet tits. Right. And so I've never – people just refer to me as sir. Yeah, and so I don't know what right. that's like, so I can't even empathize. So, but I'll tell you what, I'm 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 glad it happened because it's interesting. Yeah, uh, but more importantly, I'll never call a female honey in the South. It's so acceptable, right? Like, but uh, and I'll never call a female honey. I don't fucking well. It's interesting because I'm thinking about myself. I would never call a woman honey just instinctively. I didn't I know. I, I didn't know how to. I no, didn't but know we're, how we're, to. We're just yeah. different. You're from Florida. It's yeah. a whole different thing. I'm just thinking about myself. I would never do that. Although, although. And maybe this is a way we can wrap this up. Uh, when I was young, and I used to very much pretend to be black. You know, I mean, I just straight up did. Yeah. Like I said, the apex predator of the social scene was the black guy. And so when I was like sixteen, I like just straight up, you know, affected a black accent. You know, like, and it would it would ebb and flow depending on who I was talking to. So if I was talking to my brother. I'd be like, well, anyway, we're going to go. I mean, I didn't talk like that. You know, we're going to go to the store. And then, Wait, you did black impressions of white people? I'll do Richard Pryor's impression of a white guy. Hey, uh, how's it going, Hoyt? Uh, 
I, I would just be talking like, oh, yeah, anyway, I'm going to go to the store. And then I get a call from my friend. I pick up the phone. I'd be like, hello? Yeah, what's up, man? Yeah, all right, cool. Peace. And hang up the phone. My brother would be looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, but one time we were at this restaurant. And, and this was right when I was like changing. I got sober. And I was like starting to like reexamine my relationship with like you know, me thinking I was a gangster and all, all this. I was like, so I, I was in the middle of this introspection. We were at this cafe at like 2 in the morning. And this black lady comes over. She's like pouring us coffee. And I'm like 15 years old, 16 years old. And I just go, I'm like, thank you, baby. Like that. <laughs> like an old black man. <laughs> it felt real, but I didn't know. it was. And I look over, my brother's just like, don't you ever fucking do that. Me. And, thank you, baby. Thank, oh, thank you, baby. I, but I didn't mean, I, I didn't mean anything. I was like, thank you, baby. Hey, can I play and get some conversation? <laughs> Hey, thank you, baby. Hey, yeah. thank you, baby. Hey, keep it warm, honey. I. Right. Anyway, so uh, that was a fucking. I gotta have you back, man. Yeah, I could talk to you for fucking hours. I'll come back anytime. I, I literally, uh, I, we've been trying to make this work for so long, and I, and I, I mean, we talked for an hour and a half, but I, I, one of the few people that I could talk to forever. You're just one of the most interesting dudes. You his book, too, his book, you can still get it. I know I can... Uh, yeah, Casher in the Rye. Casher in the Rye. Also, I have a stand-up special on Netflix, an hour special of Moshe Casher live in Oakland. Or you can buy it on Amazon. I got DVDs. And um, Can I plug a couple dates? Please. Uh, I'm, I might post this one today. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, the 19th to the 22nd of January, I'll be in Toronto at the Comedy Bar. And then uh, New ooh, Year's. You been there? No, but I have a big uh, Toronto fan base. Oh, shit. Oh Toronto. yeah, come through. You got oh, Roll it's out. too bad you're sober. There's a there's a great club called the Underground. Oh yeah, well, hey, you know I'll go. Uh, well, you can't really go in there without okay. experiencing it. So All right. there we go. What is it? A sex it's club? A, no, it's a it's um it's a it's a smoking bar. Ah, I see. and so I there I was Benson was like oh yeah, yeah write yeah. down your oh no set I'm doing list. a show there. Are you really? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm doing their 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 like weed show or whatever. Yeah, P- uh, Puff Mama. Hopefully, I'll still be sober at the end of that. We'll no, see. it's Benson was like, write down your notes. Ari was like, write down your set list. And I was like, I was like, guys, I'm not gonna smoke. Uh-huh. Like, I'll be fine. And five minutes on stage, and I'm like. Oh, the lights are twinkling pretty fun. Whoa. Yeah, and and then your throat starts hurting because it's so much fucking smoke. Jesus, but it's one of the funnest fucking shows I've ever done. Uh, oh yeah, and then San Francisco will be at the Knob Hill Masonic Auditorium New Year's Eve. Uh, that'll, that'll be fun. Uh, Who are you doing that with? Uh, I think Benson actually, and Pete Holmes, and Natasha, and um, maybe Rory Scovel, some other people. It'll be really fun. And me. Oh, you doing it? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes, I'm oh, doing awesome. it too. Oh, and who cares, man? They're coming anyway. I don't even need to plug that. Day. Yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. That's gonna be fun. That's That'll gonna be, be a fun, fun fucking time. My book. Uh, my book. Um, I don't. I never knew what they are. Publisher, yeah. editor, the yeah, guy editor, that I deal sure. with. Yeah. Um, is gonna be there. He's bringing his brother. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, awesome. Yaniv. So uh, he's. I think he's excited to meet you. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, and then what? I think there's a couple other. Oh, I'm going to that South, Charleston, South Carolina, January 17th. Uh, through the 19th for their comedy festival anyway I'm done but uh, come yeah and listen to the champs on iTunes at Moshe Kasher all that rate and review it do that subscribe rate Rate, and review review. it's so important to these podcasts yep and do it for this one too yeah Yeah. oh yeah you might as well do it for this one too if you haven't already Uh, thank you honey thanks for having me on honey (laughs) (laughs) so big player This episode was brought to you by The Machine.